I feel like I have a word for the church. Is that okay? Um, and it was it was kind of precipitated by by the, uh, the prophetic words that came forward. Um, of course, in, in the you guys all know this, but it was news to me as I was coming into Beverly for the first time that the the uh, the name Beverly comes from a Beaver's Lee, which is a stand of forest that are inhabited by beavers. And I was thinking about that while we were worshiping. You know, I'm kind of, I'm an ADHD worshiper, you know, I just kind of go everywhere. And, and I felt like the Lord said, he brought to mind that, 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 that one moment in uh, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe where the children are with Mr. Beaver. And, and, and uh, they're asking Mr. Beaver to describe Aslan. And, and Lucy, I think it is, says, is he, is he, is he safe? Is, is this Aslan safe? And Mr. Beaver says, oh, he's not safe, but he's good. He's good. I feel like this church is going to be visited by Aslan. I feel, I feel like Beaver Lee is going to uh, find the words of Mr. Beaver come to fruition. And God is going to visit this church in, in, in the, the not terribly distant future, I, I sense that, that this conference is, is indicative of the dream of the church coming to fruition. I believe when God visits, there's going to be a two-pronged, a two-pronged fruit. And one of, one of the prongs is going to be prophetic. That within the church itself, but within the region and within the city, this church is going to be known as, as sons of Issachar that there's going to be a unique understanding of the times and the seasons that not only extend to the church itself, but extend into uh, the city government, that extend into the educational system, unique perceptions of timing and words of wisdom, words of knowledge that will go forth, not as prophecy per se, but will go forth as words of wisdom and words of knowledge, which will never be, Nevertheless, be prophetic to those who receive it. And this, the, to that extent, it will raise the profile of the church and become a springboard for individuals to become interested in this church in ways that they haven't in the past. That the church will now be seen as a growing legacy for the city. And so don't be surprised if individuals who are in governmental positions suddenly become either relationally or even even worshipfully related to this church in ways that have in the past seemed to have been an impossibility, God has a dream for this church. And the second prong is going to be light, that this church is going to be known not only as a church which knows the times or seasons, but the church which has peculiar wisdom. Wisdom that is beyond uh, the, the assessing through rationale or reason, but wisdom which will prove out to individuals from outside the walls of the church that will astonish in some ways uh, such that people will want to be associated, will want to be near the source of the wisdom, which is nothing less than Jesus Christ himself. All of this adding up to a new profile of this church, in the city, a good profile of this church in the city. So the Lord says, raise up, even though you're a hospitable people, raise up uh, yourselves into the warmth of the Spirit. Raise yourself up into the, the, the reach 
of the Spirit into the neighborhoods. Raise up yourself, because God says, I'm going to give you new opportunities with groups of, with which you've had no opportunities before. The Lord says, this is my doing. I'm going to orchestrate it. I will make divine appointments. I will, uh, I will make, make a way and a path in, in different areas of government, of education, of, of even the livelihood of this city. I don't know if there's an industry in this city that predominates other industries, but I, I got that word of the livelihood of the city. And so Lord, the Lord is pleased with this people. The Lord says, I will do it. Watch it happen because I have a dream for this people, says God. Amen. Amen. <sighs> okay. <laughs> You know what? I, I believe that's the word of the Lord, and I know I've just delivered it. Nevertheless, can we give God a hand? Can we just give him a hand? I think he deserves hallelujah for this group, Lord, for this people. Thank you, God. Amen. Okay, this evening's uh, message is again on the life of Joseph. The, the title of the series is From Dream to Destiny. Uh, and uh, I'm kind of going, I call this message... Executive alert. Now, we've moved from Joseph being a dreamer into Joseph being a dreamer who was imprisoned. We're kind of skipping that portion of Joseph's life where he ends up in Potiphar's house with Potiphar's wife, tempting him. Most of you know the story. We, I wish we could get into that, but it's it's kind of you know it's 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 important in the process because it's a testing of Joseph. But I want to get into the meat of this thing, and of course Joseph survives the test, and uh, uh, in God, and and he's but he's thrust into prison. Okay, and then we're so we're kind of skipping that. I call that message Killer Queen, by the way. Anyway, <laughs> it was either that or Mrs. Robinson. I wasn't sure which way to go with it. Um, but if you ever want to hear that, you can get onto our website. It's nc4.org, and all these messages are on there, and they're a little different because I'm giving them to our congregation. But you can get there, and you can get the, the bits that are missing. And then, of course, there's the whole incident of uh, the whole incident of Joseph interpreting the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker, and that's of course that that's the platform upon which Joseph moves up and becomes the Viceroy of Pharaoh. And that's what we want to pick up this evening. Is that okay? So it's kind of a one-off thing. I see, I can, the neat thing about the story of Joseph is it's, it's culturally known. You know, the, the, the Muslims know the story of Joseph. Uh, you know, Jews, uh, Christians know the story of Joseph. It's been popularized so you can lean on the narrative and people's knowledge of the narrative. And that's kind of what I'm doing this evening. All right. So, I want to go to Genesis chapter 41, and this is the Cinderella story, okay? This is, uh, this, everybody loves the Cinderella, Cinderella story, right? This is where Joseph moves into fulfillment of the dream. It's the Cinderella story of Genesis chapter 41, where Joseph's miraculous interpretation of Pharaoh's two dreams and his becoming the royal viceroy of all of Egypt come into play. So, Joseph moves from languishing in the royal prison, prison to uh, luxuriating in the royal palace. How's that for a dream path? Now, this takes a while. Um, I, you know, it's interesting. I, I, wanna, I wanted to go to this. I want to say it again so that we don't miss it. I want to define the dream. A dream is an imagining of myself that comes from God. 
It motivates my pursuits and brings me to the destiny that he desires. See, so dreaming is a way of hoping for my life. I, I keep reiterating that because I don't want us to lose that, that sense of it. Uh, because dreams aren't just, once again, I'm going to revisit it for the people who weren't here earlier. Uh, dreams aren't merely or need not be merely something that we get at slumber in the night. Dreams can emerge from all kinds of prophetic places. But dreams tend to affix themselves to the giftings or the, the, the gifting profiles of the individuals who dream the dreams. In other words, I don't believe that God gives you a dream to be an opera singer if you can't sing. All right? Because I'm all right. You know, because he's gifted us in specific ways. And Joseph has this magnificent gift of, of creative uh, uh, executive power. He's the supreme, the quintessential executive. And wherever he goes, that gift begins to operate and begins to come into play. Now, the germination of that gift was going on all the way back when Joseph was with his brothers giving reports. I believe Jacob saw something in Joseph that Joseph had a way of seeing things, even from a business perspective, that could tell whether the flocks were thriving or not. The problem is Jacob had no idea what he was, the, the, the way that he had raised his other sons, that this was putting Joseph's life in jeopardy, and at Joseph's young age was contributing to a, an arrogance of sorts. And so Joseph's gift couldn't function in the place where the dream came to the fore. So when Joseph is sold into slavery, immediately, bang, that gift comes in. So Potiphar's house is, is, is prospering everywhere. He goes to prison then after uh, he passes the test of Potiphar's wife. He goes to prison. And the, prison, the, 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 the uh, warden of the prison realizes immediately everything that Joseph does uh, it just prospers. There's success everywhere. He's an organizer. He's a leader. He can do all these things, and he has a wisdom that other men in the prison don't have. And so Joseph's dream is suddenly coming to pass in the most preposterous way he could have ever imagined. And I want to begin then at chapter 41, and we're going to jump around a little bit because we have to cover a lot of territory. Is that okay with you guys? Yeah? All right. Beginning in chapter 41, verse 1. Now, it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, right? You have his cupbearer had a dream, Joseph had dreams. The dreams always come in doublets. The doublets means in two, and that's a, that's a symbolic way of saying in Scripture that it's a picture that God is involved with the dream, and the dream is actually going to happen. Uh, by this time, I, I presume that Joseph knows this. Now, it happened at the end of two Full years. I, I like the fact that the, that, that the Holy Spirit wants us to know how full those years were. They were no doubt full for Joseph. All right. Two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. And again, the number two here is important, as we'll see later in verse 32. Now we're going to jump all the way down to verse 8. Now, in the morning, his spirit, Pharaoh's spirit was troubled. L- literally, it says, his spirit pounded like a drum. Uh, That's a great, great a poetic phrase. So Pharaoh sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. These were kind of the academics of the day because magic and, and knowledge and all those things were, 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 uh, were occultly combined. And so these were the academics of the day. And Pharaoh told them his dreams. 
but there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Verse 9, then the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh saying, you know, I would make mention today of my own offenses. And Hebrew literally reads this way. I remember today my sins. That's literally the way it reads. I remember today my sins. One of the reasons the cupbearer forgot about his sins and about Joseph is that Joseph was associated with the penalty that the cupbearer was paying for his sins, and he didn't want to remind Pharaoh of it. Are you there? Remember when Joseph was interpreted the dream, he says, listen, buddy, when you get to Pharaoh, mention the fact that I, you know, that I, I did what I did because he wanted to get out. Two full years later, he remembers this. Now, he remembers it because Pharaoh's disturbed because no one can interpret the dreams, right? You know, it's kind of like, you know, when, when Pharaoh's disturbed, all of Egypt is disturbed with him. How's that, you know? Remember the thing in Herod when it said Herod was disturbed at what the, the Magi had said to him? And all Jerusalem was disturbed with Herod. It wasn't a person you disturbed. So, so anyway, he says, I remember my sins, which I conveniently tried to forget. And, and so he says, he tells Pharaoh how Joseph had prophetically interpreted their dreams. And verse 9 and following. But then in verse 14, let's go there. Then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph. And they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. You see, everyone's on sitting on the edge of their seats. Everyone's on the cusp of something. They want to know what's going on. So it says that they drug him, they brought him out of the dungeon. Now, this is really interesting in Hebrew as well, because the word for dungeon is pit or well. It's exactly the same word that was used previously when Joseph was thrown into the pit in, in, in Dothan. So he, he was put in the pit in Dothan, and he filled the empty well with the water of his being, and now he's being pulled out of the pit, and the water's going to be drunk by somebody. And it seems that this refers, to, again, to Genesis 37. It's as if Joseph has found himself in, in a never-ending pit, the last hole of which was the royal prison. You know, it's like, what do they say that, uh, that, uh, that, uh, that um, oh gosh, what's it? It's, it's... Oh, I, I know what it is. It's it's not a uh, oh, it's not a grave. What is it? Uh, a, a trench? What is it? Uh, mm, think, think, think. Uh, no, what? No, no, it's a rut. That's what it is. A rut. A rut is a grave that's open ended. It never stops. Joseph is in a rut. His dreams has put him in a rut. I knew if I, you know, if I just did this a little bit, I'd get it. All right. So Joseph is in a rut. Okay. A never ending pit. And so he, in verse 14 then, and when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. Do you sense Joseph has a fashion problem? You know? <laughs> so this time, it's interesting. When he comes to Pharaoh, he has to have on a white linen tunic. So gone is the coat of many colors, and now we find that he has a white linen tunic on. Verse 15, so Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I've heard it said about you that you hear, that you hear a dream. You, when, when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Verse 16, so Joseph answered, I love this, and saying, this is the same thing he said to the baker and the cupbearer. It is not in me, God or Elohim will give Pharaoh 
a favorable answer. And the word favorable, shalom. He's going to give you a shalom answer. So here you have an Israeli saying to uh, uh, an Arab, shalom. All right, isn't that wonderful? And, uh, uh, an answer that creates, literally what it means is this. Joseph is saying, I'm going to interpret the dream. And he knows this prophetically already. And the answer that create, is going to create shalom in your anxiety-ridden spirit, that spirit in verse 8 that's pounding. And, but how did Joseph know that the answer would be peacemaking? Because he hasn't heard the dream yet. The baker's dream certainly didn't produce shalom, did it? Remember what happened to the baker. All right. So verse 17. So Pharaoh spoke to Joseph. This is where Joseph's the prophet. And all the way down, he interprets the dream. And down in verse 25, it says, Now Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one. The two dreams are one and the same. And God has told to Pharaoh what he is about to do. In other words, you and Elohim, my God, Pharaoh, are in cahoots. Verse 26, the seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years, and the dreams are one and the same. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven thin ears scorched by the east wind will be seven years of famine. Verse 28, it is as if I have... It is, as, it is as I have spoken to Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Now, the theological implications of God doing a famine on the earth can't be worked through here. But that is what it says. That is what it says. But it's interesting that it's not phrased in the passive voice. In other words, it's not saying there was a famine in the earth as it does in the New Testament. It says God is doing the famine. And what's really interesting about that is that these cows are coming up out of the Nile. All right, The Nile is the god of Egypt. So the cows are coming up under the aegis or under the authority of the god of Israel. And the cows are coming up and they're representing a famine that the god of Israel is doing. And yet Joseph doesn't lose his head because that's how anxiety-ridden Pharaoh is over the dreams. This is interesting stuff. Verse 29. Behold, seven years of great abundance are coming in all the land of Egypt. Verse 30. And after them, seven years of famine will come. And all the abundance of the first seven years will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine will ravage the land. Verse 31. So the abundance will be unknown in the land because of the subsequent famine. For it will be very severe. Now, for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means that the matter is determined by God and God will quickly bring it about. Which is interesting because I just, I just, uh, when I prophesied just now, I, I said two things, didn't I? And I had, I had made that connection. That's interesting. Okay. I'm just thinking out loud. All right. All right. Okay. If this is what number two means, and we consider verse one, where Joseph remains in prison for exactly, how much? Two full years, isn't that? It means that when a matter is determined by God, and quickly, and, and he quickly brings it about, quickly may still mean a matter of a few years. Alright, in the, in the timing of God. This is Issachar intelligence, right? Alright, verse 33. Now, let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise, and set him over the land of Egypt, verse 34. Let Pharaoh take action 
to appoint overseers in charge of the land and let him extract a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. And let them gather, verse 35, all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain for food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority and let them guard it. Egypt at the time was renowned in the ancient world for its huge granaries. Now, Joseph's saying, go find a guy who has a lot of wisdom and then you send him out and right now you're extracting a tithe from all of Egypt. Guess what? Have this guy go out and extract a double tithe from all, double the taxes. You know, this, this guy is not having any favors put upon him. Are you there? All right. Verse 36. Let the food become as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which will occur in the land of Egypt, so that, so that the land will not perish during the famine. How many of you know that even in the time of abundance, extracting double from people is not a pleasant thing? That when we're, when people arrive riding the gravy train, they tend not to think about the time. Use that word, riding the gravy train. They tend not to think about the time, that that time will come when the gravy train won't be able to be ridden. Okay. 30, 37. Now the, pro, the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his servants. And so in verse 38, then Joseph, Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this? in whom is the divine spirit. And this is what's really interesting. It reads in Hebrew, can, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? That's what Pharaoh says. That's literally the way it reads. This, and the, the word spirit of God is not used much in the Old Testament. That, that phrase, the spirit of God himself, or God's spirit, is not a phrase that's used excessively in the Old Testament. It's in a few places, but it's, it takes the New Testament to, to see it just spring up everywhere. Verse 39. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. Verse 40. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne I will be greater than you. Verse 41. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all of the land, Verse 42, then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him in garments, here's that fashion problem again, of fine linen, and put the gold necklace around his neck. And Joseph's, fas- Joseph's fashion problem is finally solved. <laughs> and the prince with the multicolored coat has finally become a real prince. But here's the deal. Has his dream been fulfilled? Yes, it. It hasn't. His leadership gift, he's become possibly the greatest leader in the world in as much as he's the executive of Pharaoh, and he knows more than Pharaoh does about what's going to happen and what to do about it. But what was he seeking when he was seeking in the fields of Shechem? And the angel or the man came up to him and said, what do you seek? And he said, I seek my brothers. So, Inasmuch as the dream has taken him somewhere preposterous, somewhere wonderful, somewhere where uh, where the dream will be the agent by which people are saved, people are fed, and 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 crisis, even an international crisis, is averted. The key issue here is I seek my brothers. 
Dreams cause us to seek our brothers and sisters. Dreams of God from God always place us in relationship. Now, there's something I want to bring out here that I just kind of want to point out. And this is interesting because we've been saying that when we see the dreams of God come to pass in our lives, that, that the dream matures the dreamer. Am I right? And you're following that. Because the psalm said that when Joseph declared the dream, the word of God tested him until the dream was fulfilled. Right? So the word of God was fulfilled. So as we go through the pursuit of our dreams in God, we become refined and matured. That was the last session. But watch this. The dream matures. Oh, I didn't went too far. The dream matures. Thanks, Peter. He's watching over me. The dream matures as well as the dreamer that matures. The dream changes. And this is the episode in Joseph's life that we begin to see a really mature dreamer, but we also see a maturing dream. Are you there? There's a para. It's a twosome. It's a doublet again. In previous chapters, we've seen a dreamer devoted to his father and even devoted to God, a faithful dreamer, a moral dreamer. But here in his 30th year, the same year that Jesus begins his public ministry, a faithful and moral dreamer, we see a mature dreamer and the gift of the spirit that is showcased here beyond all else is the gift of wisdom, the gift of wisdom. Now, brothers and sisters, wisdom is what is essential in a crisis. And I just prophesied wisdom over this church as a dream of God for this church. Wisdom is what is essential in a crisis. And in an absolute crisis, absolute wisdom is required. Egypt and its world, the whole of the Middle East, are facing an absolute crisis. The Nile River, which is a a god in Egypt and which has resourced Egypt for thousands of years, is going to become defunct. Pharaoh and all of Egypt desperately need wisdom. And my experience is that when we use biblical words like knowledge and understanding and wisdom, we act as if they mean the same thing. You notice that. Uh, but they're not the same thing. Biblically, they're not the same thing. They, 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 uh, they don't. They don't mean the same thing. Knowledge is factual. All right? Knowledge is to know something about something. If I am ministering prophetically here and I look at, uh, and I look at Nat- Natalie, and I look at Natalie and I say, oh, I perceive, you know, and those guys, I don't know who they are. And I say, God shows me that you have two children. Uh, how many do you have? Three. God shows me that you have three children. That's what I said. Anyway, that's a word of knowledge. It's a gift of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians. And it's a specific gift. It's factual. It doesn't necessarily imply how you raise those kids. It doesn't imply what condition the kids are in. It just tells you, it gives something factual that raises the faith of the individual receiving the prophecy so that they can receive something in terms of the wisdom of God. Are you with me on that? And, and so when, individ, when prophets come in that have sharp words of, sharp words of knowledge, it's, it's a faith raiser among the congregation. So 
So here, there's this word of knowledge that Joseph has about what, what the dream means and what's going to, in fact, take place. Sometimes words of knowledge are predictive, but that doesn't mean you know what to do when the crisis emerges. So, so knowledge is factual. Knowledge is to know something about something. Now, understanding, a word of understanding, which is also in the scriptures, is reasonable. It is knowing what and how to think. Uh, uh, Tricia, my wife, is a pragmatist. She's, does everybody know what a pragmatist is? It's practical. She's the most practical thinker on the planet. I, on the other hand, you know, I'm, I'm, a, a, I'm a fantasy guy and a romanticist. And, you know, she's constantly dragging me down to earth. You know, she, as a matter of fact, she'll say some days, she'll say, they call, she calls me Grubby because my last name is Grubleski. She'll say, Earth to Grubby. What are you thinking? You know, how, how can you think that? As a matter of fact, this is, yeah. <laughs> see, we, listen, in our marriage a few years, a few years back, it was really funny. It was about a year ago. She said, you know what? I want to figure out how you think because I can't figure out how you think. And so, so she says, she says, what I'm going to do is when we're riding in the car or we're just doing stuff, I, I'm going to say, okay, what are you thinking right now? And so, uh, and so she, she, she would do that for a while, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so she was trying to understand how I think. And uh, so she would say, well, what are you thinking right now? And I'd say something like, um, oh, well, I was, I was just, you know, kind of wondering, uh, why the Hebrew alphabet looks like it does. And I was just going to, she goes, oh gosh, Lord Jesus. But I remember one day we were driving in the car and she said, what are you thinking about right now? And I thought, Really? And she said, no, I want to know what you think about right now. I said, I was just thinking about how much Willie Nelson looks like Vincent Van Gogh. And that was the last time she ever asked me what I was thinking about right now. (laughs) Yeah, she's a grubby too. That's right. I have to remind. So many of us carry a rather romantic notion that dreamers are at heart impractical, whimsical, wispy kinds of souls. Impractical and whimsical souls like me are like more fantasizers than real dreamers. Watch this. Dreamers who realize the dreams of God tend to be strongly practical. Dreamers who realize the dreams of God tend to be strongly practical. This is why God has given me a wife. You know, I'm constantly saying, Lord, the woman whom thou hast given me, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing. Now, here's, this is especially true. Wisdom is neither knowledge nor understanding. I don't want to lose you on this. You know, it's not reasonability and it's not necessarily understanding the facts of the situation. Wisdom is knowing what to do, how to act, why to do it and when to do it with to do, to do, to do being emphasized in the equation. Jesus said in Matthew eleven nineteen, wisdom is justified by her deeds. In other words, how she acts. That's where wisdom is just. That's how we know a, wisdom, a word of wisdom is being activated because somebody's doing something and something is becoming fruitful consequent to how the thing works out, how it's done. Does that make sense to everyone? Because it's a very important distinction that, 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 that believers 
fairly often don't bother to make. In Luke 7.35, Jesus says, wisdom is justified by her children. What he's saying is that wisdom is activity that produces fruit. Wisdom is fruitful, which makes it wisdom from God. And that's exactly what Joseph does. Now, why is this important to the story? Because it brings us to a principle that I want to observe in this episode. Knowledge without understanding is impotent. All right? Understanding without wisdom is ineffective. This is huge. This is a huge principle. Joseph knows what exactly the cows and the ears of wheat and the number seven and the number two represent. He has prophetic insight. He understands what God is about to do and the great predicament that will unfold. And that's a word of knowledge. Uh, but here's why I call this message executive alert. You know, this is more than more than that. Joseph understands that the effects of this national catastrophe are avoidable if somebody has wisdom. Great executives do that. Yeah? Great executives do that. And so, uh, so where was I here? <laughs> More than that, Joseph understands it. Did you notice that understanding is not in the dream? Are you there? Understanding is not in the dream. Understanding is in the gift. Ah! That, you know, that there's an understanding of the character of God in the gift. But even that understanding in itself is not enough. Most importantly, Joseph carries the wisdom to know what to do, when to do it, how to do it. And Joseph honors and defers to Pharaoh because Joseph understands authority. That's wisdom as well. But from the moment he tells Pharaoh what has to be done, Joseph is clearly now in charge of addressing the problem. He is the pure executive at the moment. Not Pharaoh. He's the pure executive at the moment. Pharaoh has the authority Joseph is the executive. And wisdom is the deciding factor in his power to execute. Are you there? So wisdom is extremely important. Dreamers can dream dreams and not be wise. You know, I can't tell you as a pastor, you know, you know, look, I'm a prophetic guy. I like, I'm talking about doublets and, you know, this quaint obsession with multiples of seven and all this crazy stuff. So I'm a prophetic guy. You know, I do this kind of stuff. But I can't tell you the number of times in 30 years, you know, some intercessor comes in and has a vision of fountains with blue fish and, you know, uh, crinkly stardust and all this, all this stuff, which I'm sure is from God and so forth. And, and then they say, so I just want you to know, that, that as a leader that I came to you and told you so. And I have no idea what any of it means. It's the word of knowledge. Yeah? You know? It, it may even contain a grain of understanding, but it gives me no wisdom in terms of how to be able to, to employ that word. Now, maybe I have a gift of wisdom that can interact with it, but more often than not, no. You know? So when I find prophetic people who come, and, I, and, I, and again, I love the gift of prophecy, and they have all kinds of extravagant. There's some books out there, visionary books, and I read two pages, and I think, I don't even know what to do with this. Are, are you there? Because real leadership requires wisdom. It really does. 
And that comes from God. And that, that's why I think this is important for dreamers, because we, th- we know that the dream can mature. It did here, didn't it? The dream matured. The dreamer matured. But, but to bring this thing t- from the maturity of the dreamer and the maturity of the dream to the fulfillment of the dream, wisdom is essential. And that's the truth, that's the truth for the dreams that we're talking about here. Well, I want to talk about this before we close tonight because I want to pray a word of wisdom over the dreams that are here along the lines that, 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 uh, uh Rick prophesied this evening, Rich prophesied this evening. Is that okay? All right. I'm not, not losing you on this wisdom understanding stuff. I'm not because it's pretty essential. All right. Good. All right. Ah, oh, where was I? Okay, we we can have knowledge without understanding, and we can have understanding without wisdom. And I think, yeah, that's really interesting. We can have knowledge without understanding, and we can have understanding without wisdom. And I wrote this. I, I think this is why so many academics have a hard time in the public arena. Yeah. I mean, there are brilliant people out there in academia. I'm a degreed person. I've got... Graduate degrees and undergraduate degrees, I get all that, I value it, but I know so many individuals who, who, who have an incredible amount of knowledge and understanding, but at the end of the day, you know, the, the pragmatic side, the, the side of knowing what to do, when to do, and how to do it, escapes them. You know, I see it, see it all the time. So whenever I see someone who's an expert, but doesn't have skin in the game on top, do you use that word skin in the game? You don't use that. Oh, skin in the game, <laughs> that's a, it's a great phrase, it's American. The skin in the game is when you have a person, your skin is on the line. You have a personal investment in, 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 in uh, a problem that needs to be solved, right? That there's something that's going to cost you in terms of, the, of, of the, the solving of the problem. So we go to the media constantly, but this happens in the church too, where, where you know, somebody has... You know, is brought in as the expert. They're carrying the briefcase. And they have absolutely no skin in the game. They have absolutely no cost, no personal investment in how this thing turns out. But boy, do they have opinions. Boy, do they have knowledge. Boy, you know, boy, do they have dreams. Boy, do they, are you there? I mean, it's all, I'm all constantly asking myself, okay, you're, you're a great journalist, but what, you know, what makes you, even though you may be an expert, how, how do you, how are you going to communicate wisdom into this situation when it costs you nothing? This is why the critical side of things in politics escapes me sometimes. And so um, uh, I always want to say when people when people come on TV with 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 a uh, well, this is how we fix the Middle East, yeah, ISIS and you know Al Qaeda and and the whole mess that's over there. This is how we fix. Everybody knows how we got there. Nobody knows how to fix it, I believe, because it's a spirit and not a politic, you know. But having said all of that, uh, uh, you know, this, this is how we fix it. And I'm thinking, really? You know, really? You know, what? well, why are you not in a position to do this, you know, if, if you're so wise about this particular thing? And the, and the thing is, the thing is, they have no skin in the game. And so Joseph has lots of skin in this game. Are you there? So... So I believe we can have knowledge without understanding, and we can have understanding without wisdom. I think this is why academics can have a hard time in the public arena. The public eats knowledge and understanding. The public arena, okay, out there, the political arena, eats knowledge and understanding for breakfast. 
Okay? I mean, it eats it for breakfast, man. But a person with real wisdom, the wisdom of God can thrive. And that's what this is about. All right. Here we go. A dream from God is God setting a context to express wisdom in my life. That's what dreaming is all about. A dream from God, and we all have them here, is God setting a context in my life to express wisdom in my life. So that if I have a dream, for the dream to be fulfilled, I'm going to have to get some wisdom from God, which for me very often comes through my spouse. I'm serious, you know. That pragmatic, that pragmatic side, you know, uh, uh, complements the dreamer in me. And it could, that's just us. I'm not saying it has to be that, that way. Okay. God is not sending a famine and then that is all there is to it. You know, Pharaoh's dreams are an executive alert. Kings have problems too. As a matter of fact, the general rule is that having authority is itself a problem. <laughs> right? You know, everybody, I want to be an authority. Oh, really? Let me tell you about that. You know, it's a problem in and of itself. And the greater the authority one has, the greater the problems one have. You know? And so the question is this. God has given me a dream. What do I do with it? Where will the wisdom come from? If God has given me a dream for my life, there is a prophetic nature to it, and he inspires in all kinds of ways. The dream is not to abdicate responsibility. The dream is always to exercise wisdom in my life. Are you there? You know. So I don't take my dream to my pastor or my you know, because all of us have, have individuals who are, your dream needs to be submitted. We talked about that. And so I don't take my dream and submit it to somebody and say, okay, it's now your problem. That doesn't, isn't the way it works. I submit it to somebody and I pray it through. And so I need wisdom in the situation in order to act, in order to see the dream fulfilled. Even when the dream's mature and the dreamer's mature. As a matter of fact, a mature dreamer will usually submit a dream. All right. All right. If God has given me a dream for my life, I don't abdicate responsibility. I need to exercise wisdom. Um, <laughs> a guy came up, got up in church a couple weeks ago and, and said, look, he said, said to me, and it's a guy, he's a guy who prophesies fairly regularly, but you know, every once in a while when someone prophesies, there's a peculiar unction on the prophecy. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'll just share a little bit about my personal life, just real quickly. Oh gosh, I got to get going. Um, and it, it's along these lines. I'm, I'm 66. I'm thinking I need to have a successor in our church, someone who's going to succeed me fairly soon and spend year, a couple years working with this individual, so I can trans, I can somehow transition out of being senior senior leader, and he can be senior leader. And uh, he and his wife can take it from Trish and I. In other words, all those kinds of things. I need wisdom for that, yeah? That's the kind of thing. So I'm thinking I'm not going to travel anymore much. So I really can all, a lot of travel for, for uh, 2015. 20, uh, and uh, this is one of the places I – you use the word can. I, I eliminated a lot of travel. I'm not going to a lot of places that I normally go. And this is one of the places I've come to. I'm so happy I did. And so – so anyway, so this is after I made this decision, uh, I don't know, a couple months before, 
He prophesies over me. And there's a peculiar unction on this prophecy. There's going to be a great shift in your life. And you're going to be, you're going to be going to places that you imagine, never imagined that you would go to. And I just thought, oh, that's, that's a, that's, that could be a word of wisdom, but it's more a word of knowledge because I don't, I don't have the wisdom native to me to exercise, you know, where that's going to happen and what that's going to be. Now, an immature dreamer who got that prophecy, you're going to go places that you never have imagined, would say, oh my goodness, this is wonderful because all the romance of quote Christian travel kicks in and all that stuff. Let me tell you, when he received that word, some part of my heart sank because I knew that he wasn't prophesying I was going to go to Cancun, you know, for two weeks next summer. That was not going to, that wasn't the way this was going to turn out. Are you there? Yeah. See, that's understanding. <laughs> it's still not wisdom, but it is understanding. And so, so anyway, if I don't have wisdom in a situation, I need to get it from God, or I need to get it from someone who has gotten it from God. Right? But it's got to come from God at the end of the food chain. Okay? Pharaoh says, I know what I'll do. I'll choose the one who God has chosen. Now, that was wise of Pharaoh. But he was leaning upon the wisdom of Joseph and then the wisdom of God. And that does not mean chasing down a new prophecy. It may mean using simply discipline and reasoning and prayer, right, assaulting heaven. But Joseph moves in his prophetic gift of dream interpretation in tandem with a tremendous leadership gift and an administrative gift. Because our gifts complement our dreams. All right. So, you know, I want you to, this is a lot, but I want you to reflect on that as you're thinking about your dreams over this conference and maybe going in to next week and so forth. Your gift complements your dream. Every once in a while, a gift will emerge in order to complement a dream. But usually, for mature dreamers, the gift's already established. So once again, you know, if, if you feel as if your, your, your dream is to be uh, 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 an equestrian trainer, you know, and, or or to ride in the the national race, but you're afraid of horses. I think you got a problem. You know, it's that kind of deal. All right, all right. Joseph moves in that. Proverbs one seven says, "The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools don't despise knowledge and understanding." In the Bible, think of Solomon. You know, now Solomon had all this knowledge and understanding, and he was not wise, right? What did God say? Don't multiply horses, which has to do with power. You know, don't multiply power, don't multiply money, and don't multiply women. And that's exactly what he did. You know, that's not wise. Fools despise actually doing something godly and righteous with the very godly knowledge that they may have. And I'm going to close with this because we're really getting late here. Okay. Wisdom is to know how a season of blessing can ensure that seasons of difficulty will never swallow us. All right? That's the lean cows swallow the fat ones. The lean ears of corn swallow the fat ears of corn. A time of tragedy has a way of swallowing a time of blessing so that the time of blessing is no longer remembered or recognized. That's huge. Wisdom protects us from that. It really does. Wisdom protects us from that. So I want to pray for wisdom for us tonight. Because, I, 
You know, I, I got a couple uh, dreams on the burner myself. Are you there? All right. Uh, are there areas of your life where you feel as if God has given you a measure of knowledge and understanding that you're sitting on and you don't know what to do with it? You know what that means? You're not wise. Yeah. I mean, in other words, I'm not say that you can't be wise. I'm not saying you're not a wise person. You're not wise with respect to the knowledge and the understanding that you're sitting on. This is a biblical principle. I mean, this is all over the scriptures. Um, so I want to pray for wisdom for that. How's that? Uh, have you ever had a literal dream while sleeping that you know is from God, but you don't want, know what it means? You know, well, that's a question of discernment. You know, that's not necessarily wisdom. That's that's knowledge and understanding. So, um, all right. Are you feeling paralyzed in a certain pursuit in your life? Well, what's then the, sort, the source of the paralysis, right? Because usually if it's a particular area, the paralysis has to do with the dream unfulfilled, okay? Uh, so we're going to pray for knowledge and wisdom and understanding with the most important virtue being what? Wisdom. Okay. Can we say that together just so I know everybody gets it? Wisdom. All right. That's good. All right. Let's stand. Shall we stand? In your name, I speak release with my brothers and sisters. We speak release to a word of knowledge for those, Lord, who, who, for those, Lord, who need to know what the dream means. For those who have an inclination, who have a, a leaning, who have a, 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 a predilection, a, a, a moving forth, a hunch in their spirit that you are speaking something, we release words of knowledge in the name of Jesus right now. For those, Lord Jesus, who, who, who have the knowledge, they, they know you're speaking, they know what you're speaking, but they don't understand it. They don't understand how it might affix itself to their gifts and what they do and, and who you made them to be as a personality. We release understanding in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Understanding from heaven in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. We release cognition in the name of Jesus right now. We should re- release people into a season of mulling over this and becoming enlightened, having their hearts enlightened in their faith in the name of Jesus. Whoa, we, ah, boy, we just release that in the name of Jesus. And Lord, for those of us who just don't know what to do, if there's a blockage, if there's a barricade against our future, Lord, for those of us who, who just need to be wise in a situation, we know what you've spoken. You know, we know where you want to go in our lives. But, but there's this paralysis and we don't know how to handle it. We release wisdom in the name of Jesus Christ. A word of wisdom in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, your word says that a root shall spring up from Jesse. And, and, and a root will spring up from Jesse and, and he will be wise and the fear of the Lord will be his delight. We pray for a spirit of the fear of the Lord to fall upon us as a people and for wisdom to arise. We pray for wisdom to arise for the, for this church and, and Lord, we pray for wisdom to arise in terms of how it would, would lean itself into the local community, God, into Beverly itself, that we would know, God, that you are surely not safe, but you are good. We ask for that, Father, together in Jesus Christ's name. Amen and amen and amen. And God bless you all. It's late. I'm sorry I went a little late. But bless you all and and, uh, thanks for listening.